Hello and welcome to the Open Source System Podcast. Here we talk about the world of open source news and projects. Today, uh, we have a special guest, Jason. Jason, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, hello. My name is Jason. Uh, I work at GitHub. Uh, I am a software engineer on the special projects engineering team where we take on all kinds of weird, random points of friction and small to medium-sized features and try to make your day better. How's that? Amazing. How's that? That that is a that is an amazing intro. Preparing for this episode, uh, we have uh, at least four projects that we're going to talk about today. Uh, and I think you, yeah, you mentioned there's uh, so you work at GitHub. One feature that I was actually looking at recently, um, when you browse on GitHub, when you go through uh, the repositories, mm-hmm. and you go into like a nested directory for that project, and then you click slash. Mm-hmm. Is it slash or how do I search? The- uh, oh, you're talking about T, which T. is the, the, okay, great question. Yes, I agree that that button should work everywhere. Uh, I just discovered that with the command palette that was introduced, um, not only does the command palette have that functionality, but that means that you can use it anywhere. So uh, if you go to any, uh, uh, you know, sub view within a repository and you do command K, and then uh, that opens the command palette, and then a slash to say, I am now going to start looking for a file. That's how you get to the fuzzy finder within any view. Uh, that said, uh, we should totally add that uh, press T to go to the uh, uh, file, it's called the fuzzy finder uh, in any sub view, that'd be great. Yeah, uh, one thing I think I noticed, and I actually got signed out of GitHub right now, but when you press T, does it start searching from the root of the repository or does it go from the directory you're in? I'm not sure if it does it with the command palette. I believe it does. I'm 99% certain that it does not care about what directory you're in. Okay. And it's just a, like a fuzzy finder. Um, mm-hmm. you know, does, a, does a best guess based on. Got it. Cool. Yeah, I didn't know about the command palette though. Hopefully, uh, yeah. yeah. I just learned that last week. Oh, nice. Awesome. Uh, any other features that uh, you recently shipped uh, as part of this that you can talk about? Mm, um, well, so there's actually a great list uh, that my team worked on um, that's part of the GitHub Enterprise Server 3.4 release candidate. Uh, so that was actually released today, uh, which is February 16th. Um, that includes just like a, a gigantic list of small to medium-sized improvements. God, there's, the, the list is huge because it, the, the cool thing is that we work on so many like random small things um, that if you sort of look at a list of them, it's gigantic. Oh, uh, we added right to left support, uh, right to left language support in uh, Markdown, um, various different things around uploading images within Markdown files and not just uh, Markdown comment boxes. Um, I added a link to uh, a repository's code of conduct file uh, in the like uh, uh, overview page of the repo. Um, just a lot of stuff like that. Awesome, yeah. And then uh, can you talk about how some of these features, they so they go into the GitHub Enterprise server. Mm-hmm. Do we expect to see them in the main GitHub as well? Uh, is there some... Like, is, is there, yeah. does it, do they ship on different timelines or are they available kind of once you upgrade your GitHub enterprise server, they're also available in the official GitHub? 
Well, so github.com, uh, that is where we target all of our, like th that's that's where we release continuously. So github.com is deployed. I don't know the actual number, but let's call it a hundred times a day uh, mm -hmm. by various uh, you know engineers and folks. Um, most of the time we will ship features. This is true for most GitHub features in general. Uh, we'll ship things behind a feature flag which means that we can enable them uh, uh, for individual users or groups or repositories. Um, and it's basically just an if this actor has this feature flag enabled, go and do this thing. Um, and then eventually we will remove that feature flag code once we've enabled it for all people. Um, after we've done that, the next GitHub Enterprise server, so the on-prem uh, uh, version that's released, will have that feature. I believe that's quarterly, but don't quote me on that. I'm not actually sure when the release schedule is, but that is released on a you know on a particular schedule. Awesome, yeah, that's that's uh, that's very cool, and I'm always happy when uh, you get sort of you get to experience a new feature on the main GitHub.com website, and then it slowly comes over to the enterprise one. And it's kind of like, yeah, it's 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 good to have those features in both places, and uh, yeah. uh, they're definitely definitely useful. Yeah, I mean, our goal is always to like uh, uh, ship features, iterate on them to make sure that we're shipping like the absolute best possible thing, get feedback from the broader community. And then once it's like battle tested, you know, we know that it's gonna be exactly perfect or as close to it as possible. That's when we ship it to enterprise customers. Awesome. Now you did, well, we're talking about GitHub. Uh, the projects we have on today are all on GitHub. And the first project of the episode is OpenDrop that is located on Simu uh, Lab OpenDrop on GitHub. We'll have a link to that in our show notes. And uh, yeah, OpenDrop is an open source airdrop implementation um, that is a, it's a it's kind of experimental software. They're trying to their best to sort of take uh, it's got to reverse engineer and take the best of out of Apple's AirDrop and uh, port it over to OpenDrop. Um, it's uh, this project has over six thousand stars on GitHub these days. There is a Python installation for the OpenDrop, and then it can be used as a uh, command line utility through OpenDrop, uh, an OpenDrop command. Uh, it is uh, written in Python. Ninety-eight of uh, ninety-eight percent of the repository is Python. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, there are some limitations for uh, OpenDrop today, but uh, I think they're still working through them. And they the OpenDrop itself was uh, started as a kind of a research project to kind of try to reverse engineer some of the AirDrop, uh, some of the AirDrop code, and uh, uh, allow maybe more like other uh, scenarios uh, for kind of sharing files and uh, and so on. Uh, are you are you a uh, airdrop user jason i have used airdrop probably five times total but i will say that it's a great experience so it's this is actually really cool i'm curious to know <laughs> it's interesting that you have to call open drop receive like of course you do that's you know that makes sense uh but the i think the beauty of airdrop is that you enable it and then people can just like drop files to you or um, they have a airdrop has a, a setting for uh, only your friends can send you 
you know, randomly just send you airdrop stuff. Um, and I think that's like part of what makes it feel so magical when it works. So I'm interested to see how uh, OpenDrop will figure that part out. But at least like the the sort of underlying foundations of it, that seems super cool. Yeah, so it's, it's uh, as I mentioned, it is a, a sort of a command line utility. Uh, it has, uh, yeah, the several, several uh, straightforward CLI commands. Uh, one of them is open drop find, open drop send, and as Jason mentioned, open drop receive to receive files. Um, you can also um, send a URL. That seems very nice. Like I can picture myself, you know, hacking away in the same room with somebody um, and they're like, hey, check out this file or check out this URL. Maybe we're not using Slack or whatever. And they're just, you know, bada bing, bada boom. Now I have the URL. Seems pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a few limitations. Uh, I, the open drop cannot send uh, multiple files. And uh, also, you cannot trigger it, I think, with the Bluetooth low energy uh, mm -hmm. devices. Uh, I didn't even know that Apple AirDrop had that. Uh, so, uh, it's definitely probably something in the works. I think the they're still uh, uh, making some updates to the project. But uh, yeah, if you're interested in kind of how AirDrop works on your Mac, and you want to maybe play around with uh, the, this open source implementation, check out uh, OpenDrop on GitHub. It is also available on. Uh, it's kind of it's part of the uh, this other website at uh, Owl Link like openwirelesslink.org. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're in there, they're documenting kind of all their findings, all the kind of the conference talks they've done and uh, all the publications they had about the kind of this initiative to uh, um, reverse engineer some of the sharing protocols and reverse engineer some of like Apple's, uh, Apple's protocols as well. All right, so that's OpenDrop. Next up, uh, we have Neko. Okay, Neko. I, I don't know what this is. I, I intentionally did not look at any of the projects he sent me because uh, I wanted to, you know, learn them in real time. <laughs> yeah, that's that a, that's a good approach. The logo for this project is incredible. It is. I am curious what the inspiration for the logo is. Uh, and there it is. Why Neko? This person just likes cats. But but I I I I like that they answered the but why the cat butt question. I think yes. that's important. yeah yeah yeah. So if you want to know uh, more about the the logo of this project and uh, the whole reasoning behind this, um, you can find this. Uh, you can find Neko at uh, m uh, on GitHub uh, at m one k one o slash Neko, and. Uh, Neko is basically a, a self-hosted virtual browser that runs uh, in Docker and uses WebRTC. So Neko v is like a VNC, I think, uh, <laughs> VNC uh, that uh, gives you a browser window inside of uh, another container. And I believe it uses WebRTC to kind of stream the, that browser from the Docker container. Interesting. It looks like this was built around being a collaborative browser using experience because they have text chat, they have different kinds of users that have different kinds of controls. Um, it looks like it's meant primarily for like watching stuff together as a group, but 
I mean, it's a browser, so you can do whatever you want. That's pretty neat. Yeah, so there's, I think since the pandemic got started, there's been a lot of solutions for like, I think it was called like Netflix party. And then there's like other ways to watch like Netflix together. And uh, so in this case, you can self-host this container and uh, I guess uh, send your friends the URL and you're all uh, just jump in into uh, into this browser and you can uh, just have like a, this, a virtual party and watch like YouTube or Netflix together. Neat. Yeah, so it's got an interesting website. Uh, it has, uh, besides the, the normal GitHub documentation, uh, it also has a kind of a nice, nicely looking website with the examples of how to set things up in there. And uh, oh yeah, VLC uh, is the thing. I think and, VLC and, is the, uh, like the actual video viewing experience. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it seems like you can just run this on the Raspberry Pi as well, which is, uh, just kind of a neat setup. That's pretty cool. It has uh, mobile support. Uh, so, uh, I'm not sure if this is like external contributors showed up and edit this or as part of the project, they've added this as well, but, uh, yeah, you can access this, uh, this, uh, virtual browser that's running inside of container, uh, from different environments. The uh, the project got started. Uh, it's it's got over seven hundred commits. I think it's got started two years ago. I think it's probably like a some like a pandemic project. Uh, but it's still uh, it's it had some recent commits eighteen days ago uh, or even ten days ago. So it's still uh, it's still uh, chugging along, and uh, yeah, it uses uh, uh, I think is a <clears throat> mix of technologies for the browser itself for the virtual browser. They use Chromium. And some of the app is uh, built uh, on the back end. It seems to be built with Go, and uh, on the front end, you get the you know your usual JavaScript with TypeScript and Vue to make the the experience of this virtual browser happen. To have like controls for chats, volume, and things like that. Cool. I wonder how they do the actual WebRTC communication. Because right? if they have this like virtual browser, how do they stream that browser? Yeah, I think that's something we can uh, we can take a look after. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think it's a good project if you're looking into kind of uh, if you like working with browsers or maybe you want to learn how. Uh, um, actually, some of the Docker stuff also. If if you're interested in how you can kind of set up a Docker container that has kind of this uh, kind of very interactive output where there's like a browser running inside of that container, I think that'd be a cool uh, project to check out. So we're going to have a link to uh, Neko. Hopefully we've been pronouncing it correctly all this time. Uh, <laughs> and um, it's going to be in our show notes. So yeah, if you like browsers, if you maybe if you want to get into Golang as well, uh, that's a good a project to start with. Next up, uh, I wanted to talk about Photoprism. Uh, it's uh, on github.com slash Photoprism slash Photoprism. Um, it's, a, it's a Photos app. It's powered by, again, Go and Google TensorFlow. And I discovered this project by looking for alternatives to Google Photos. And I was like, maybe I don't need Google Photos. Maybe I can just self-host all my photos. And uh, in using this application, I will still get like the best uh, features of Google Photos, like categorizing certain things and maybe at least some of the machine, machine learning features. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, so I I believe this is the, the yeah Photoprism is kind of a leader in this space right now for uh, people who want to like self-host their photos and have a nice experience. It, it kind of sounds like Plex, but for your photo library. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually really cool. Yeah. <laughs> they they do have a public demo uh, uh, available. If so, if you if you go to try.photoprism.app, uh, it will show you uh, uh, show you an example of how the app works. And uh, yeah, the reason why I couldn't get it uh, working for in my setup is I did not have. Uh, I think this required. Uh, I think it had a Docker container, and I, I didn't get a chance to just set up all the Docker stuff. So it does, but unless if you're all set up with like your custom instances, uh, if you have like a AWS account or or like DigitalOcean or something like this, and you have the Docker environment uh, already uh, set up, you can uh, yeah get PhotoPrism going, and uh, maybe it could be a good alternative to Google Photos for you, that's or cool. something like uh, Apple Photos. I guess is that that's the uh, yeah. This feels like if you already have some kind of like Kubernetes or or home lab type situation, um, this feels like a, a a very reasonable addition. Like, I would much rather use something that I have more control over than something like Google, uh, Google Photos, even if you know it's in the cloud. Yeah. Yeah, I think actually PhotoPrism is probably my favorite uh, project from uh, kind of the the episode uh, this episode. Uh, they do have an easy way to get started, and uh, they are also very uh, they're 100 self funded and independent uh, through uh, they're they're funded through GitHub sponsors and Patreon and uh, other other means. So yeah, they have a roadmap. They have like uh, a, a way to prioritize and manage different ideas that people uh, bring in and uh, want to be built. And, uh, and also they have a zero bug policy. So they, <laughs> so they don't accept any bugs in their code and they want them fixed as, as soon as possible. So that's, uh, uh, it's cool to have that. I, I also have a zero bug policy. Uh, unfortunately, I never meet that policy, but I have the policy, so. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's PhotoPrism. Uh, features of the PhotoPrism uh, web app uh, include uh, they support both photos and videos. Uh, I think it supports all the different formats, uh, and I think it does some of the stuff for uh, raw format conversion as well. Um, it's got a power for search. I think that's from like something like Google Photos or Apple Photos. Uh, I don't know if it's Apple Photos or I. I guess for Apple, it's just called Photos. Um, but in their case, it's very confusing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they, uh, it, the, the powerful search features, I think is one of the things people like those, uh, kind of solutions from Apple or Google. So in this case, PhotoPrism has, um, uh, has, has that built in as well. Uh, it has uh, pretty much all the features that Google photos had these days. So like, um, uh, recognizing faces and like uh, grouping people by face if you want to. It has support for live photos, which also uh, kind of a feature that uh, could seem proprietary, but it's actually possible to implement. Uh, they've done a good job in setting up their interface as a progressive web app. And um, they do also have what I love in in Google Photos these days is the the, the map uh, where it takes the puts a location of all the photos where they were taken. Uh, Photo Prism has that as well, um, and uh, yeah, it has some uh, integration for PhotoSync, which is uh, which allows you to back up your um, uh, photos to iOS, uh, to securely backup photos from iOS or Android devices. Um, 
that was kind of cool. Uh, it's and I think I've looked when I looked at this project, it was fairly easy to set up. They're still going strong in terms of uh, releases. Uh, they're on. Uh, uh, I don't think they have like they had 34 releases in the past already. The last one was 27 days ago. So the project is going strong with uh, almost 20,000 GitHub stars, and uh, they have almost 250 patrons. Patrons, pa patrons, 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 patrons. Yes, <laughs> almost patrons. Um, so it is a uh, yeah, a very cool uh, project, um, and it's been re uh, recently mentioned in the Linux magazine, which is uh, that's very cool. It's a reputable uh, magazine. I think I have a copy of Linux magazine, just one copy though, not this one. <laughs> and finally, the the kind of the last project on my list is Spotify TUI. Uh, so this can be found at uh, Resolute slash Spotify TUI on GitHub. Uh, I'm going to have a link to this uh, in the show notes uh, added uh, so people can find it. I have seen this one before. Really? I yeah. To know that TUI means terminal UI. Ah, amazing. Okay, good. Mm. So Spotify TUI, if you just search for that and you can Google or Bing or whatever you use, uh, you'll find this uh, project on GitHub. And uh, this is a Spotify for the terminal written in Rust. Uh, so if you are kind of, if you're looking for a more exciting, you like terminal UI for Spotify, you can use this. Uh, it will, like if, if you don't want to click on buttons in the, the the complex Spotify app, uh, the the Spotify client will uh, do the job. Um, I've tried this with my Spotify login, and it worked pretty well. The only thing that people have to be aware of, I think, uh, in this case, you have to have a. This is more of a controller for Spotify, so you still have to have like uh, a Spotify um, uh, kind of process running in the background that is actually playing music. So that could be either your Spotify, like the app still has to be running or there has to be like a Spotify background process running to actually play the music. So, but in terms of the UI, this is very kind of powerful. It allows you to search for things and, and so on. It is very cool. It kind of reminds me of like, um, you know, uh, uh, Vim or Emacs or something where it's like this, uh, you know, terminal based, very controllable UI, um, but it's for Spotify, which is neat. It means that if you are, if you're already using Emacs or Vim or whatever, um, this is probably not a far departure for you. Yeah, cool. for sure. It has all the kind of installation steps for uh, different uh, uh, operating systems, and uh, I think the features that they have, besides controlling and playing music, they have like a small visualizer uh and uh things like that the other thing i liked about this i was actually i actually said it yeah as i mentioned i set this up for myself the uh way to to configure it you actually go in into spotify's uh api get a dashboard and you create your own application inside of there so it's uh all the actions you do and like all the uh, authentication that you do is kind of contained within just between you and your, the application you created so you don't have to like uh, trust that you know nobody else will like steal your playlist data or something or will like 
uh, try to like maybe like look at the stuff that you listen to. So it's all just uh, between you and the app that you created using the Spotify's API. That is nice. That is nice. <clears throat> and just like our first project that we talked about, OpenDrop. Uh, I think with OpenDrop, it was uh, the CLI was I think it was just called OpenDrop. Yeah, and then for the Spotify Spotify Tui, it's SPT, uh, where you can just say SPT play uh, some dash dash name of a playlist and things like that. It will and it will start playing things for you, and then you can manage uh, kind of your your music library from there. I think it's especially good for people who uh, have a lot of uh, have really like big playlists in their Spotify library, and are looking for uh, just other ways to manage. Uh, um, uh, manage manage their library. Nice. Oh, they also um, they mentioned that you do need to have uh, like a Spotify client uh, to be able to actually play the music. Um, but they mentioned one called Spotify D, which seems to be like a, a more lightweight uh, uh, player. Mm. So that's cool. Yeah, Spotify. Yeah, Spotify D. I think. Uh... It's yeah, it's it's Spotify D streams music just like uh, the official Spotify client, but yeah, it's more lightweight. It's available on more platforms. It's written in Rust. Also written in Rust, yes. And uh, I think uh, yeah, so you do need a Spotify Premium account to use it. I'm not sure why. So like it says Spotify D will not. Oh, sorry, yeah, will not work without Spotify Premium. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> curious what the what what the limitations could be on that. Maybe they don't like handle ads or something. I don't know. Yeah, that could be that could be that. Cool. Yeah. So Spotify Tui and Spotify D, uh, both are available on GitHub today. Uh, the Spotify Tui project uh, is written in Rust, as uh, Jason mentioned. So is it, if something like if you like music and you're like a heavy Spotify user and you want to learn Rust or contribute to a Rust project, that I think that's a good uh, uh, project to start with, especially because it is a terminal UI thing. It's sort of visual, but at the same time, it's a program that runs in a terminal. So it's a kind of a kind of best of both worlds. And uh, I think so far, uh, the Spotify 2 UI had almost almost 100 contributors. Uh, so it's been uh, kind of a fun project uh, for pe to, for people to um, uh, to contribute to and use. Cool. So those are the uh, four projects I wanted to talk about today. Jason, do you have any projects that you wanted to mention? I do. Yeah, and I probably should have given you uh, advance notice. <laughs> um, I have one that I've been uh, using a lot recently, uh, and I've been very much enjoying, which is called Remix. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but it's uh, if you go to remix.run, that uh, is their website. Um, it is a uh, React-ish, and it's it, it, it's a full stack web framework. Um, it is built primarily to work with React for now, but I know that that's not a limitation that they have in mind. But um, you can sort of think of it like a Next.js or you know something of that ilk. Um, it's just like a really nice experience using it. You know, you're building this web app, you're doing uh, UI work, you're doing backend work, you're doing all of the things in between, um, and the abstractions and the trade-offs that they make uh, to my palette, I guess, um, just feel really good to use. Uh, and it's, it's fast. Um, <laughs> uh, it's fast. There's uh, ways to make it really fast. And there's uh, 
all kinds of, um, they, they, they're very careful about making this framework that builds on the web platform itself and doesn't like uh, uh, replace web fundamentals with abstractions that don't actually do anything. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty new project, but it's from uh, the folks that make uh, React Router uh, and have been very active in that community for a long time. Um, that's Michael Jackson, Ryan Florence, Kenzie Dodds, a bunch of those really great folks. Um, and yeah, it's in super active development, um, which is really fun. And it seems like it's uh, full on just uh, JavaScript, both on the back end and front end. I assume they use Node uh, in, the, in the back end as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, it's a full stack framework in that uh, you know behind the scenes it is running some kind of server of some kind, you know. Um, but uh, it also uh, uses ES Build to build all of your, you know, app code uh, into a variety of different targets. So, um, for example, you can say, "Hey Remix, build me a Cloudflare worker application from my, you know, bunch of TypeScript nonsense," um, and it'll just do that. That's awesome, yeah. I think the they're so they're at remix.run on the web and also on GitHub uh, in the remix remix-run organization. Uh, the main remix project has over uh, thirteen thousand stars, and uh, surprisingly, I did not start it just yet. I just started uh, well when you told me about it. So this is the first time me got a seeing this project, but it looks super cool. Uh, it seems like they've done a lot of work. Uh, uh, really quickly. Uh, it seems like maybe the project got started. Uh, I mean, well, I so say. it's actually a really interesting story as far as uh, sort of open source management goes, but um, they had built it as a paid uh, product for a while. Um, I don't know how long a while is, but the, it, it started as this closed source paid access thing. Um, and then eventually they raised funding, I believe. Uh, to you know, build it properly as a company, but for it to be open source, you know, for for eternity. Um, and they have a couple people like being paid to work on it. Um, I don't know. I don't actually think that they take any kind of sponsorship money because um, I think they've just taken seed funding. So I I'm curious to see how that will uh, you know pay off for them and the folks that gave the money. Um, but it is an interesting example. But it, it's been in the works for a long time, and it's built pretty heavily over uh, React Router, uh, which, of course, has existed for, I don't know, decades, <laughs> centuries? Who knows? Yeah, I do notice that they have the React Router in the Remix organization. So I'm curious how they utilize some of that. Um, and as part of their dependencies, uh, they... Yeah, I guess they have Rollup. They have some of the uh, kind of Ooh. ESLint tooling. Uh, they use Puppeteer for some of the testing. And uh, yeah, it's also, yeah, it's a good project to, if you're maybe getting into um, kind of, if you're a Re maybe a React fan and you're looking for something new to explore and uh, something that is uh, kind of well-managed as React Router has been all these years, uh, mm -hmm. it's a good one to check out. So yeah, that's a remix dash run or uh, remix.run on the web uh, that you, you can find that project out there online. There's uh, there's also, I opened a discussion the other day uh, about 
implementing CSERF protection within the framework itself, mm-hmm. which I think is really nice. They're very eager to get those kinds of like security minded, uh, uh, you know, opinionated frameworky type contributions, which I think is very lovely. So if anybody wants to go and do that one, go, go do that one. Yeah, it's, uh, it seems like it's, uh, there's a lot of community around it. There's a lot of people, there's 400 issues open right now. Uh, a lot of them tagged as bugs. So if, yeah, if you're looking for like a, a good project to jump into and you're a JavaScript developer, or maybe you want to learn JavaScript, uh, definitely try out, uh, check out this project. And we're going to have a link to Remix Run uh, in our show notes. These are the projects that we wanted to mention today. We had OpenDrop, Neko, PhotoPrism, Spotify 2E, and Jason told us about Remix Run. Uh, we'll see you next time, and thank you for listening. <laughs>